Get it out, did you? Give it a rub. In the noddy, on the bed. Spitting polish. I bet. Copperfield. David Copperfield. Nice and wet, was she? Do you like that? You make me sick. Here's a banana. Blimey, O'Reilly. What's your secret? Old spice. Well, splash it all over. Now you're talking a little bit kinky. Oh, yeah. Golden shower. The erotic world of Jacques Cousteau. Hello, listening people. Hello. Hello, brother. How are you doing? Good, brother. How are you? Good, governor. Old good peanuts. Lad. Good lad. Good chap. Good chap. Oh, man. We're feeling very foreign today here on Spit and Polish Presents, the only Polish podcast worth listening to because we speak of the English. Yeah, everyone speaks English, not everyone speaks Polish. Why aren't we number one hmm. Polish podcast? Do you think if we keep doing this, we'll convince some poor schmuck that this is what a Polish person speaking English sounds like? Like, they think, oh, I didn't know that when Polish people learn English, they sound like Australians. <laughs> There's got to be some poor guy is like, oh, okay. I've tuned in for the 44-inch chest discussion. Yes, this is how we sound. This is how, uh, ooh, that's, that's your imp- impression of a Polish accent, an English uh, impression, person. Impression, yes. Well, now it's different. Now you're doing a little bit more. Before you started <laughs> Swedish, you're like, this is how it sounds, yes. <laughs> now you're doing a little bit more of your rolling R's. You, you mean, your mother has an accent, so. A little bit, little bit, yes. I like how you say a little bit, but the, the answer is definitely. <laughs> uh, but we are here to talk about movies. We're here to discuss a film that has been recommended to us. It is that, it, that is the whole gimmick where you recommend a movie, Bartek, one week, I recommend one another week, and you, the listening people out there, recommend a film as well. If you want to let us know your f- thoughts and feelings and or movies for us to check out, you can just hit us up on social media or our email, and we'll add it all to the list. All your comments, all your concerns, go in a little document a hit list document and we had some guests on in the previous episode mm-hmm. uh, where we talked about Breaker Morant and uh, they were British and they thanked us for the Australian movie pick so they, they slung one right back at us but with a, br- a British movie pick and there was a lot of hilarity to be had mm-hmm. because uh, Paul from Film Busters uh, I do believe it was Paul said the film, but he he did say the director first, then a bit of a pause, and then it's like, and now it's the title of the film. But he 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 had Ray Winstone, the actor, and the title together, so it mm-hmm. sounded like the movie was called Ray Winstone's Forty Four Inch Chess. It has been just for everyone to know, it's been literally nine days since we've done that recording, and I've still just kept thinking of the film as Ray Winstone's Forty Four Inch Chest. <laughs> but the film is. Just 44-inch chest from, what was this year, 2000 and... I want to say 2009. Nine, I'm going to guess 2008, 2009. A British film. It stars John Hurt as well. It was a pleasure to see him. I, I didn't remember that he was here. And Tom Wilkinson and, oh, a whole cavalcade of people are here. So if you have not seen... 44-inch chest, we recommend that you do. To give you a quick-fire synopsis, if you are interested, it is a movie about a man who is very upset that his wife has cheated on him and he has gathered his mates together to help him seek out revenge against the man who has slept with his wife. Yeah, it's... And- it's um. She's she's come clean about it and tried to bro- break it off. So, you know, she's trying to go through the proper motions. And the twist to all of this is our lead character is a very emotionally sensitive man. He's played by Ray Winstone, but this isn't a classic, I'm going to fucking kill this guy and get my lads and we all have a crime history background and we're going to break some knees. It's not just that. It's not like that necessarily. You think it's going to be like that, but... There's a lot more of a, uh, a, fr- a fragility 
to our lead character than you would expect from something with a pitch like this and with the actors that we do have here. Even just looking at Ray Winstone, you just look at this guy and you go, he's a fucking beast of a man. I don't expect a character to be as uh, uh, emotionally in turmoil as, as he is here. So that is the pitch. Go watch 44-inch chest for yourself. Now, I think it's fairly simple to say that neither of us have even heard of this film before, let no, alone no. seen it. I think we said as much last episode after we were done giggling about the fake title. <laughs> Did you have any any ideas in your head about what could this what this film could be about? Uh, no, not really. Uh, pretty much all I did was I had to look up the title just to, you know, confirm that it exists, confirm that I can find it. And I happened to see if the genre fell under crime. So it's like, okay, it's going to be some sort of crime film. I did not even do that. All, all I knew was the actors involved and I just thought, oh, it's going to be a geezer film. The Guy Ritchie type <laughs> movie, the, the... We're going to have characters with absurd names, which we do, and they're all crime names. I always think of uh, Guy Ritchie's Rock and Roller, where Tom Hardy played Handsome Bob, and then he's revealed his character's gay, and they're like, well, should we start calling you Fag Bob then? And it's just hilarity ensues from that, but I I had assumed that, but uh, no, I really didn't know what I was getting in for. I had a bit of a struggle finding the movie initially, uh, finding a place that could play it properly, and I I got there in the end. So I had seen the initial opening shot like two or three times, so I was a little bit annoyed, but uh, what I will say is the film threw me for a loop. Oh, yeah. It really did. I, I feel I don't mean this in a negative way, but I feel very deceived because that opening with the the glory slow shots and the music and the swelling and the a messy lot of, room and the poodle that's scared under the chair and Ray Winstone's face, I really got a very uh, cinematic feel for what we were going to be entering into, mm. which is not what I would describe 44-inch chest. It's not the most cinematic movie. The camera work, the overall staging and blocking is very subdued. It's not very fanciful, but that opening gave me this real uh, sense of awe and that we were going to be far more uh, like a Guy Ritchie about this, but it really was not like that at all. Yeah, the film uh, knows that an audience has expectations and can, you know, read what they're looking at, um, and it acknowledges that fact and is also very cheeky. <laughs> <laughs> Bartek's adopting some of the language for this one. You're, Did they say uh, cheeky in the film? No, but it sounds like they would, wouldn't it? <laughs> kind of uh, does, yeah. Or you cheeky bastard. <laughs> yeah. So what did you think of 44-inch chess, not knowing anything about it going in? You didn't even really know who Ray Winstone is as an actor. He was the name that we were labeled with as like, mm. he's in this. Well, he was the one with the 44-inch chest. 44-inch chest. So uh, you knew nothing. You're similar to me. You at least knew it was a crime-related thing. I just assumed as much. And by the way, just as a side note, for any Australians that are listening to this around the time the episode's released, the film is on Stan. There you go. Yep. So, uh, what did you think? I actually really liked it. Um, I had very similar thoughts to it, surprisingly, that I did to Breaker Morant, where I don't have all the pieces in my head after I was done watching it, but I really enjoyed the experience, and I'm kind of keen to maybe check it out again one day in the future just to really see how it all comes together. Because, yeah, like I said before, this film is a very kind of – Cheeky film. It is very much a dark comedy. It doesn't yes. say everywhere on the internet that talks about it that's a dark comedy, but it's very clear because there's a lot of funny lines. A lot of funny lines. There's a lot of talky moments where they're in the middle of, you know, they're torturing a guy, belittling him, or he's within earshot of them and they're just like chilling out right now. Um, you have these very absurd moments. Like there's one where a character, like, berates and calls the guy a wife fucker for like a minute straight just basically <laughs> repeating the same words but in like different you know sentence Wait, structures and it just keeps looping around yeah and it's very funny um and obviously you know there's the whole thing of like these characters are serious well they they come across as like serious guys when they're doing all this stuff but then you get all their little personality quirks mm. the way they play off each other especially like John Hurt and Ian McShane 
Uh, um, it's like yeah. a duo made in heaven. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, it's just a very fun little film. Um, and with our main character, like you said, you know, you look at this guy and you see like, oh, he's got these blokey elements. You don't know that he's this fragile. It almost feels like the character that we get in the first half and the second half are just like these two completely different characters. Because for most of the first half, he's this, you know, like kind of broken character that everyone kind of just commentates about. Like, oh, look, he's broken. He's a shell of his former self. Man up kind of thing. By the way, how were you at this club the other day or whatever? Um, And then the second half of the film, he's like, could all of you leave the room, please? And you get this like very psychological, menacing kind of monologue for the whole rest of the film with some Mm. psychological visual play going on and... Yeah, especially once it got weird like that, like that really tickled my fancy. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I really okay. So, I've watched a lot of British movies. I've mm-hmm. watched a lot of British crime movies. I, I'm familiar with the lingo and the slang of a lot of British stuff from the current era now to all the way back in Pip Pip Cheerio times. Like when I watched Breaker Miranda, I was sitting there going, "Yeah, I know, I know what they're saying." <laughs> this was all those few times where it was so aggressively doing it that (laughs) there were many moments where I felt like I was genuinely watching a foreign film where I hadn't got the subtitles. (laughs) And I'm like, I know what these words mean. We were watching a foreign film, to be fair. (laughs) I know what these words mean. I know what the slang meaning of these words is. But there's just so many moments where, especially there's this one scene, this one scene where all of them are ping-ponging back and forth, yelling at the guy that they're torturing, but they're all just saying, like, nonsense. Just yeah. Absolute nonsense. And I was just like, I'm in a fever dream because you're right. It does have a very, very funny sensibility to it. You very much get that when, uh, before we even go to the main location, you you have some of our blokes talking to this other guy. He's like, oh, how's such and such? I'm like, oh, I don't know, ask her. And then it pans down and it's, it's the, the dog. dog. <laughs> and then he starts talking for the dog and it's like, okay. So that there was very clear of what we're going to be getting in for. And I liked it overall. I think what I like the most about it, and I think maybe this is a damning piece of criticism, I like the premise of it more than anything else. I like the idea that this this uh, this cuck, they call him that, they call him a cuck old man, is so distraught over the fact that that's his life, that's his marriage, even though he's a tough guy with a 44-inch chest and he's a big bloke and he's a bloke and he's... This moment in his life is just so devastating, he can't process it, and so he thinks he must do the manly thing, which is gather the boys together and go fucking get this guy. And even that there isn't a true thing for him to do. Like, he's going through the motions of that throughout the film, as are his mates. Like, none of them seem, except for John Hurt, really seem that happy to be doing this. Uh, There's no real glee outside of John Hurt. And so I like that as a premise more than anything else. And I lost patience with the film because I was sitting there going, okay, uh, yeah, I, I would. This is a great play. This is a great <laughs> play. Uh, but like I said, I wish there was a bit more uh, in the visual terms, a cinematic flair. There, there was just a certain period of time where it was like very static, very much like we're shooting it. Okay, we're shooting it. And not to say that I'm against theatrical things being made into movies. I've loved many of them on this podcast. And one of my favorite Tom Hardy films is Locke where it's just a him and a car. That's a whole entire movie. Have you seen Locke before? No, I haven't. Tom, Tom Hardy in a car talking to people on the phone. That's a whole movie. Okay. You never leave the car. He's just in the fucking car. It's awesome. But I, yeah, I just lost patience with it after a bit of time. But overall, I, I did enjoy it. It was strange. I That was the thing I wasn't expecting is it's it's just bizarre in yeah. how it operates. Like you mentioned before, they were talking to that guy on the street with the dog and it like panned down to the dog. And when he was speaking for the dog, like you never saw the other guy <laughs> react. Them. So it, I almost was jokingly saying to myself, like, oh, this is very lynchy. And it's like the dog has a voice oh is it actually its voice <laughs> um so when it did get a little bit weird later on with the dreams i was like oh that was a little bit apt then 
Ian McShane is an actor you mentioned and how he was beautifully paired with John Hurt. Mm. And we have had both of those actors appear in things we've done on this podcast over the years. Ian McShane was, of course, the villain in Agent Cody Banks, where he right. wore where he wore blackface almost for a scene. Remember, there remember was that? something like that. Yeah, yeah, there was a scene where inexplicably he's like Middle Eastern in that movie. But uh, we've had him and John Hurt, of course. What the bloody hell is going on? <laughs> we, we've we had John Hurt for uh, the Mystery Box, a show that we used to do once a month where we watched something completely unknown and random to us. And Bartek gave us on this one. He, he had found this. He was slightly aware. But this interactive game... But this is all the cutscenes yeah, of just, that just the put footage, to, no game. To, together into a slightly coherent movie. And John Hurt. Slightly, that's a high praise. <laughs> because there was a plot. <laughs> there was a plot. Like yeah. the fact I could tell you what a plot is is, is yeah. slightly coherent. We're talking about tender loving care. And John Hurt in the interactive video game is your host of it. Like he's the guy walking you through the game. But in the actual. Cutscenes. Yeah. he's only in a handful because mm. he's not supposed to be the main character but this was in a john hurt double pack so i sat there being like okay john hurt's gonna be here and he's barely in it and you were disappointed because what you knew of john hurt from the game was far more over the top and wacky and then i watched a scene when i was editing of him and he his whole thing is he's looking directly at the camera talking to you and you'll see some absurd situation in the cutscene, like it's a, it's a psychosexual drama. That's the whole entire thing of this game yeah. and, and the movie Tender Love and Care. And he is the British, oh my Lord, did you <laughs> see that? And John Hurt, God bless his heart, he tries so hard, but he has this line delivery that we mock all the time where he just looks at the camera and in a shouting voice, but not one where he wants to peek the microphone. He just says, what the bloody hell is going on here? And we say that a lot when we reference John Hurt, who, by the way, we've had Ian McShane on. We've had John Hurt on. Both of these actors we have seen in a certain light in comparison to what I think most people would view them. I think for most people... Ian McShane and John Hurt are prestigious actors, actors with acclaim and and clout to them, people that you would call respectable. Mm. But we have seen them not in that light at all. We've seen them in Agent Cody Banks and Tender Loving Care. Where I would argue, even in in this movie a bit, it was kind of like, oh, it's weird to think that John Hurt was like this beloved classic respected actor because in here he's playing like the most over the top hammy goofball like old school goon that's hanging out with like the younger guys yeah yeah but uh ian mcshane was my favorite in the film i really loved him by far for me too (laughs) i remember when we did agent cody banks i was explaining to you that he has uh uh this on-screen presence ian mcshane like he's known for he has a really grizzled face but he has an elegant voice so Mm. there's a dissonance there and he's most well known actually for uh doing a an american show uh, where he's uh, a cowboy with the the full Texan rootin' tootin' accent, <laughs> and it's like for for most people they think of Ian McShane as like real doing the southern accent voice, but it's like he's a he's a he's a little British man. Oh look at me, pip pip, and here he is doing exactly that, being the gay member of the crew, and lots of jokes and comments made about how he's gay and he's got the nice suit and he's very eloquent and he's got his he's got manicure happening. He's very 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 funny in this. And John Hurt probably quote tries to discriminate him. I guess <laughs> <laughs> it's I think it's fair to say that Ian McShane also is. Uh, serves as a voice of reason at many points in this. There's many, many moments where he sides with Ray Winstone being like, if you don't want to do this, darling, that's perfectly understandable. Like, we don't have to... He acts like the voice of reason. Yeah, he very much cares for our main character, Ray Winstone. Um, But you also have this kind of, you know, whiplash of, like, him talking about how, uh, you know, he's like, oh, if, if I was in your situation, he'd be dead already. (laughs) <laughs> and when he talks about like his experiences with relationships and love, it's very much a you know pump and dump, get out of here, like, mm-hmm. don't even say thank you kind of thing. So it's like, oh, he he's expressing like I know this is weird coming from me, but da da da. And yeah, it's it's really interesting. It is, and uh, 
I, I just liked these interactions with John Hurt because they were the polar opposites of one another. John Hurt is very emotional and volatile and a bigot, and Ian McShane is cool as ice, cold to the touch, and it ain't very nice. And he just has all of the amazing quips. I, I Like you mentioned, I really loved his outlook on love and how it operates for him, and it's very different. This This... Understanding that romance is a thing that exists, but for him, it's all about physical attraction and nothing else. And so like he can relate on a level to Ray Winstone's character, but he can't fully. And that's the thing. None of them can fully relate. But as a whole, as a collective, they make up Ray Winstone's character like his psyche. Is mm. that the movie? Yeah, even thinking back, like the first time we see Ian McShane, he's like in his apartment. There's this like naked man just lying on the couch across from him. He's just looking at him, but there's no like interaction going on. Like he's I'm, inspecting him. Yeah, I, I almost thought like the naked guy was dead or something. It's I like, actually did. I thought <laughs> this was like a crime scene, and he was a cop initially because he's just so gentlemanly <laughs> about and it. And he waits so long to answer the phone. Even when he goes outside in the balcony, he still waits like another five seconds. Like, oh geez, I can't believe the phone's still ringing. I cannot recollect. Uh, yeah, and I should mention out loud, Deadwood is the show I was talking about with Ian McShane. Have you ever seen the John Wick movies by any chance? I can't. I, I no. You would love him in those. <laughs> he is the he is the head of this crime hotel that is run, and he's very he's this character basically. So is he a recurring character in the films? Yes, he's in all of them. Oh, nice. He's in maybe in the fourth film, the antagonist. It's kind of I don't know where they're going with it, but uh, he's kind of left on a note of antagonism. But uh, him and uh, Lance Reddick, who you may remember from The Guest, he was the uh, the secret FBI agent guy, like that that black guy who's very mm. thin with like the bald head, very intense bulging out yeah, eyes. Yeah, I think I remember him. He's in those movies as well, and he's like the concierge, like he's the the guy at the front desk of this hotel, and so he's in every movie as well. Like, and him <laughs> and Ian McShane have like a lovely little back and forths. But uh, uh, what did you think about? When we talk about the movie, we're talking about all of these side characters, the friends. I mean, you mentioned it. In the back half, it becomes far more of a psychologically driven thing. We're entering the flashbacks more. And when we are in the room, the the friends are now representations that yeah. he sees in his mind of like the differing bickering voices that he has about what he should do. What did you think about how that was the position it went to? Yeah, it was it was really odd, and I think towards the end of the film, I remembered that in the first half of the film, there was a mention of uh, our main character re- recalling a dream that he had about the situation, how like bizarre mm. it went. Um, but I didn't remember that when all those like hallucinations started. So I think it was only when like the wife teleported next to the the pretty boy, whatever mm. they called him. Uh, that I realized, like, oh, oh, so this is, yeah, hallucination. It's not like that these guys are, mm. you know, actually in the room. And later on, like, we actually cut back to where they actually are, like, outside mm. in the hall. And they're just talking inane bullshit. Yeah. So it 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 was this kind of weird thing of like, oh, so were they were they ever real? Like, yeah, I had that moment too of were they actually there or are these just the figments he has in his brain to justify his actions, and then the other one will come in and, and, and counter it and argue a different point. Mm. It's very much a Herman's head, it could have been. But I, I actually really like that decision because mm. it also allowed the actors to play a different variant of the characters we've met before because they're turned up. Because in his brain, like in Ray Winstone's mind, this is how he sees these people. Yeah. Like, Peanut is far more aggressive and far more almost like a a, a demanding father when it was the psychological portions. Or Ian McShane almost has this, uh, like I say, almost an angel on your shoulder approach to things. And then the dumb one, the one that you really liked, the, the, the fuck his wife, you fucking fucked his wife. He's in Game of Thrones, that actor. He was Stannis Baratheon, and a character nobody but me liked. So <laughs> that's fine. Even the actor didn't like it. But uh, 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 even in his like visions of this guy, he's even dumber. Well, was he the guy that like you know did the lighter thing and mm-hmm. like got put on blast for a lot of it? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of that was really interesting. Where it's like, oh, he's looking at all these like little minor things that don't mean anything. 
and just making such a big deal out of them. It's like, well, well, how does this relate to him in the real world? It's like all these like little links here that like, oh, if I watch it again, I can kind of like piece it all together because yeah, like I said before, when this part started, like I got very giddy. I'm like, oh yes, get weird, get weird because. And it it got weird and sad. Um, Mm. I should mention uh, you got Tom Wilkinson there. He's the more mild-mannered one. He's the one that's kind of muttering to himself about things. And whenever they like ask him something, he's like, oh, oh yeah, 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 right. Yeah, sure. Like he's the one with like the, the zip-up jacket. And he, he's very good too. He, he comes Is he the one that the film opens on? Yeah. Oh, well, after the, the he, trip, yeah. Yeah, he's the one. And he very much comes across. You may remember him from Grand Budapest Hotel, actually. He was one of the- nine years. <laughs> wow. We should watch it again. Perhaps. I should. It should. was really good. But uh, yeah, he's great in that. He's only in a uh, one. He's, he's one of the people telling the stories. Like, you know how it's a story within a story within a story. Mm. He's one of those people. But- uh, uh, so he's not in the main flashback part, but uh, he's great. He's a wonderful actor. He's the one in uh, Grand Budapest Hotel where it's like he's a TV report, like he's like he's on a TV show telling it. And he's like smoking a cigarette, and you see it's very good. But uh, I liked him a lot. But we've got to talk about our main man, the man with the forty-four inch chest. Which, by the way, we were talking right before this. Yeah, what was the forty-four inch chest in reference to? Because I, I, I thought I missed it in the movie, but then you were very much like, "Oh, they don't really directly get into that. It's more of a, I guess, an esoteric title, one that you can derive from, like, like what I briefly said, and you said this to me before we recorded. The, the, the forty-four inch chest is more of an idea of like puffing out your chest and being a manly man. Yeah, I, I don't have an answer. I'm basing it kind of on some thoughts and I, that I had and also, funnily enough, a YouTube comment. Um, but yeah, last week when the film was recommended to us, we already talked about the joke of like, oh, Ray Winston's 44-inch chest. Um, and I actually Googled 44-inch chest just to see like, you know, if anything does pop up, like if it's a specific reference. And I got a lot of pictures of like masculine torsos that are, you know, obviously very muscly and big, mm-hmm. um, very kind of, yeah, like I said, masculine, manly, blokey, tough. Um, and the YouTube comment that I read, it was on one of the trailers of this film. Um, cause there w- wasn't too much information about this film online. Like not the, many reviews either. Not many I was reviews. expecting a Mark Commode review to pop up and I couldn't yeah. locate one the, straight away. The IMDB trivia was mostly just like actor trivia, if I recall. Um, but yeah, the YouTube comment basically, it was a response to someone basically asking the question of like, what does the title refer to? I'm, I know English, but I don't know this. Um, and the comment response was something like, oh, it's, it's the idea of like, you know, masculinity, um, putting up a tough front. And when you think about the film itself, like that's very much a big thing, especially with mm. Peanut, the uh, John Hurt character, constantly telling him, like, be a man, make sure if you kill him too quickly, you're a pussy or whatever mm-hmm. like that. Um, and again, that is what we get a lot of with the, uh, I said John Winston, Ray Winston character, um, where he is this tough guy. And in the second half of the film, he's laying out, all these like very intimidating things of like, oh, you see this marriage certificate doesn't get more official than that. You fucked all this up. Like he has all these like blunt and clear lines. It's like, okay, we understand where he's coming from. But then he, he contrasts that with how he's like in the first half where he's just a whimpering mess, like ghost mm. of his former, sh- uh, shell former self. And even in the moments, like shortly before the guys come back in the room, he's like leaning on the guy's uh, leg, being mm. padded. Um, so it's very much like he looks like a tough guy and he's acting like it in some cases, but he's clearly very broken and you mm. understand his reasons why. So I think that this will be the interpretation that I go with. Well, and that- the film very much plays around with colloquialisms and slang and that type of attitude, just having a, a name for it as well. It's very mm. much in line. And the film could be called toxic masculinity, basically. It could yeah. have been called cuckold and it would have worked as well. And I initially thought that it was a more of a literal thing. I was like, oh, is it about like his chest? But then I was also like, well, look at the guy shoved in a wardrobe. Is in a reference to yeah. that? And I, 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 I eventually stopped thinking about it because I was just watching it as it went along. And uh, yeah, it just, just came and went with me. I went, okay, you know, that's the name of the movie. It's a bizarre name. Now, one of the, I do believe, one of the writers or one of the people who worked on this wrote 
was involved with another Ray Winstone film, and specifically Ben Kingsley. It's one of Ben Kingsley's best movies called Sexy Beast, mm -hmm. which is a fantastic movie. If you ever want to get an understanding, also run a, one of Ray Winstone's best movies, where Ray Winstone has a horrific sunburn throughout the entire movie. If you ever see the posters of of this, it's a classic, like, he's on, he's, you know, he's in the pool on a little floaty, uh, sunburnt as fuck, and he has those little, um, what are those little things you put over your eyes, you know, like, when you are in a uh when you're getting a suntan in like one of those beds they put those little goggles over your eyes but like they're the really little black ones uh, that look like fish eyes i don't know i don't know if they have a name no. they must everything has a name suntan glasses but he know. has one of those and he just he's bright red and uh so i could see that because sexy beast is better better than this but it also has that bizarre title these flipping of characters of like what you understand of them and like the idea of a man is a man but that is a prison that you trap yourself in but one thing i was shocked to find out my jaw hit the floor when i saw this mm -hmm. did you see who did the music by any chance no i didn't angelo badlametti who is david lynch's Music man. Specifically, you would know him for doing the music of Twin Peaks, the okay. iconic music of Twin Peaks. Right. Laura's theme, the main Twin Peaks theme, the Red Room, the, everything. He did the music for that. And I was truly stunned because the music is quite forgettable here. It's very much, it felt to me like music that you would get off a free music website. Yeah. And I and I, I know that's very harsh to say, but it's even harsher because the person who did the music is was arguably it's one of prolific. the best. Yeah. He recently passed away. And oh. so it's even more of a bummer that the first movie I've watched of his <laughs> since he's passed away is this, where the music is the least memorable thing in this entire in this entire feature film. And that's sad because usually his music is a character in itself. Like especially with David Lynch, but he, he, even in some of his other works, like the music that he often would bring to a project, you could argue was better than the project itself. Like I cannot imagine what David Lynch's movies, like Twin, like always Twin Peaks stuff would be like without that music. Like what would Twin Peaks be without the music? You know, the song that the, the arm dances to, yeah. Or Audrey dances to. Or, Audrey's song, ladies and gentlemen, Audrey, Audrey's song. Audrey's song, everybody. <laughs> and uh, James's song. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Yes, James was always cool. Uh, that's a little deep cut. But uh, what did you think about Ray Winstone, a uh, uh, lead man? Again, yeah, that, that flip from the first half to the second half, where in that first half, he really was more of a prop than an actual character. It was just something that all the other like interesting, sane characters or like non-traumatized characters would comment about. Um, they would express their se themselves through how they interact with him. <laughs> Poor Ryan. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Ray Winstone's performance was just so captivating. <laughs> I'm crying. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Yes, he, he drank water and swallowed it and now's coughing. I'm dead. I'm sorry. That's okay. You were saying? Um, you were yeah. being brave? Again, yeah, the, the performance was really great. First half, kind of a prop, but then that flip in the second half where we got a lot of the really you know, biting uh, dialogue. Like I, I mentioned already the, the, the marriage certificate. Look at that. Even before mm. that, when he pulled out like the underwears, like oh, wow. soft, warm, we'll put that back. It's very much giving this sense of, you know, this was my life. He keeps emphasizing 21 years. It has to mean something. And, you know, as guys who are about to turn 30, 21 is over half our lives. So it really kind of does hit like, yeah, this, this guy was very comfortable in this position, you know, being married to a woman. Uh, he he had a sense of normalcy, and the fact that something like that can be taken away, it isn't surprising that, yeah, he would be as traumatized as he is. And we have all these moments where uh, interactions with the wife and the figment of his imagination version of the wife where... Uh, he does try to play it like a, no, I don't care kind of thing. Like, mm -hmm. oh, it's over? Yeah, fine. Get out of here. 
Um, but then he flips and it's like, no, please don't get out of here. I'll take you back. I didn't mean what I said then. It's just yeah, like he tries to detach his emotions. He that tries bit where he says like, all right, fuck off then. He tries to do the 44 inch chest act and then he does the stick insect act. I thought he was spectacular. He gave me everything I like about Ray Winstone because he is a gruff guy. He does the the I'm a man thing. I was going to say, he, he, hmm? last episode, we had a running joke because we had British guests on of like, oh, are they governors? Are they chaps? Are they whatever? Mm. And when he brought up that we're doing Ray Winston's 44 and Chez, you said like, oh, now Ray Winston, he is a bloke. And again, that was really apt for this film. <laughs> And he's very funny, though, as an actor, because he has that that specific accent, that intonation, and just gravelly voice. So he can make lines even more absurd because he's so dead serious. So there was that bit where he's talking to Loverboy, and he's like, oh, Loverboy, that was it. oh did you commit a boo-boo? Did you now? And it's like, that makes me laugh. I mean, it's funny enough in itself, but his delivery, because he's so menacing it's about like it. When, he's like, oh, did you? Did, I can't replicate it because he, he, that's why he exists. It's like, like when we did Very Good Film Year One, where Vinnie Jones is like, oh, you think I'm a girl? You want to give me a kiss? It's like, oh, shit. Yes, <laughs> Vinnie Jones is a great example of what I'm talking about as well, who's also a very skilled actor. And I love Vinnie Jones as an actor. What I really think about Ray Winstone's career, and I and I think it just didn't work out like this because he has a certain look about him, but he 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 looks he he comes across to me as a guy who watched a lot of Michael Caine growing up, and he wanted to be Michael Caine, and it just hasn't it didn't happen because they are different. But like I always get that edge of like he wants to be the Michael Caine of his of his generation of actors, but it's just not in the cards for him but it doesn't matter because what he has is so so fun to watch here he's not afraid to make himself look scary and sad he's really vulnerable here that sequence where we see the wife telling him the truth and his reactions to it was the best scene for me in the movie and i was Mm. shocked because i at first i was hesitant to have flashbacks. I was actually hesitant to meet the wife. I, I I thought maybe we wouldn't see her ever in any way, and that could have been an interesting piece of business on its own. But that scene is just so well done because it goes from you feel bad for him to you feel like he is pathetic, to then feeling bad for him again, to being disgusted, and then eventually afraid of him. Mm. It's, it's such... A pivotal moment because, like you said, the first half he he's just this this thing that's moved around. But with that there, it unlocks everything that we've seen of the character and gives us a completely brand new context to work with him going forward. Where you are on the edge of your seat, wondering is he going to kill this guy or not? Because he is that volatile mentally because of this. Yeah, he and really like could go either way. Flip the coin. Like you said, there's a real emphasis of like 21 years, and but he kept saying. You killed me. You fucking killed me. So I should be able to kill you. And you know that that's what he believes. Like there's he a genuinely po- thinks like you have murdered. You have there's ruined a point, me. There's a point. I think it's that line where he says like, "Now I should. I could. I could kill you. And you do owe me that. Like he actually says, <laughs> you do owe me that. <laughs> and big props to the the makeup people too, because like in the flashbacks he is like proper. You know, his hair's done nicely. And then in the the present day, like the film that we are watching is like clearly like sweaty hair. Mm. It's like all messed up. And like when you have such a long scene in flashback to his like, you know, relatively better time to seeing how he is now, there is just this big kind of like, ooh, wow, this guy has fallen. Is there any other moments or pieces that you want to go over? I mean, the only other thing is I, 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 I respect the choice that Loverboy is not really a character. He's just he's just something to be yelled at. Like mm. he's just some He never speaks, yeah. He's just someone to be uh, hurled abuse towards because sometimes especially with men who are who are suffering from this like they need something to direct their anger at. Like that's actually an interesting piece of show, social commentary, where we see a lot of these these uh, disgruntled, uh, angry. Uh, we did falling down, for instance, on this podcast, where that's a movie that deals with a similar idea of like this man whose life has slipped through his fingers, but he did all the right things, and he doesn't know why it isn't working, so he lashes 
out at somebody because he's owed that. And that's a, an interesting piece of commentary that we see with Falling Down and Joker often portrayed in that way. But here, I actually think like they really lean into the psychological, but more importantly, the emotional toll of this rather than like in Falling Down where there's a level of like you understand it, but from a far distance. Mm. And the emotion that you get is that catharsis of seeing Michael Douglas fuck shit up real good. Here, I don't feel any catharsis of Ray Winstone hitting this guy. I, I don't. I, 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 I'm, I'm more just sitting there going... Okay, like this is what you're gonna do, huh? Yeah, the the fact that this character doesn't speak, or we really get his side of it, there was a, there was a possibility expectation in my head of like, okay, what is his one line of the film gonna be? Is it gonna be you know this or that? Is it gonna be like you know the Silent Bob finally speaks and it's poignant or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Um, Kenny finally speaks and we hear him. Kenny fully. finally speaks. Yeah. Um, and we don't get that, but yeah, the fact that we don't get anything out of him, like in my head, I was always thinking like, well, this guy probably didn't think this far ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, it also made me think of like, you know, there are situations in real life where, you know, a, a marriage will break up because someone's met another person. It's like, what does the, what does, what kind of experience does the person who, uh, makes one of those partners fall for them go through like do they feel guilt is it just a normal fact of life for them like i'm not too sure that i've ever really seen that be explored so even though this film doesn't explore it it did get my mind thinking of like yeah how how nice or how mean could this character actually be and then yeah just seeing the kind of things that he's being put through by all these characters it it just yeah makes the mind real makes me think and that was really kind of an interesting part of the film for and me. I, when it came to the 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 decimation of their marriage, I also really thought it was honest that it didn't give us the strongest inclination that he actually did anything bad as a partner. It's just they naturally separated, and those little things that people do became a breaking point for like he loves her too much he's possessive of her but at the same time like it's not to this degree that we saw in those flashbacks or even from dialogue within the flashbacks and within the present that we understood it to be so horrendous but you can see that it has broken him so much that now he has gone over that line and the whole dilemma he has is he loves his wife so much that he has to know he has to he has to figure out I have to let her go. Mm. But me doing this is not letting her go. In fact, it's trapping her. Because if I fucking kill this guy, she will never forgive me. And in the end, we'll never be healthy and we'll never be together. And so him letting the guy go, him deciding I'm not going to do this. It's like choosing between revenge and hope. That is it. And it's a form of salvation for him as well. But also uh, choosing hope will, yeah, make some of it will make Peanut especially like upset. Like, oh, you fucking pussy. But who cares what Peanut thinks? He's going to be dead <laughs> soon anyway. A random thought that came in my head was this is so British. Very British. And we just did Break Morant, which was a very Australian, but with a British lens to it. And I did think that... Uh, that Brian Brown would have really fucking nailed this role of the Ray Winstone character. I just was like, oh, I could see Brian Brown doing this. Well, maybe. He's he's very emotional. He's very emotional, but he also has that closed off thing. But weirdly, I know this is going to upset the British and the film busters. <laughs> I thought of one American actor, and this is, a, this is, this is me being sincere. I'm not being funny. Sheila this isn't Buff. me being laughing out loud. I thought of Travolta. Mm-hmm. People forget that Travolta was like, a, he's, a, he's a genuinely good actor. Like, he has range. Go watch his stuff, po- like, post uh, pre-Pulp Fiction even. But even in Pulp Fiction, he's great. But I, I kept thinking about, like, Travolta could have done this role if there was an American version of this. And I know people laugh at him. He's a silly guy. He's a weird Scientologist. He does over-the-top performances. But you know who does that? You know who does over-the-top performances? Ray Winstone. Like, (laughs) you saw him in Noah where he said that, I'm fucking taking your boat because I deserve it. Fuck you, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe could do this role as well. You do owe me that boat. You do owe me that boat. But (laughs) I I did think of Travolta for some reason when watching this. I was like, oh, man. Imagine him and Ian McShane talking. But, uh, yeah, I just popped in my brain. Now, one last thing I want to touch upon. 
Did you did you have any fa- favorite little British phrases that they used? Any little asides or little uh, a little slang? I loved how many times they kept saying cobblers throughout this. <laughs> oh God, I don't know. It was probably something Meredith said. The, the Ian McShane character. Mm. There was just so many. Like, oh, you, 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 you going off your blinker, mate? You know, like, just so many, <laughs> so many of them. It was just, it was just so. Yeah. John Hurt had a lot of them. Yeah, he's old school. He's old. He's like, I'm fucking old. But I just wanted the reference. Did you get lost in the the the, the language? Because this is a very talky film, and it is very much in that uh, the 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 British. Uh, vernacular. Did you get lost at any point, or did you just kind of roll with the punches and get it all? No, I I didn't especially feel lost or overly familiar with it, but I think I understood everything just fine. Yeah, I'm curious of if British people, especially our film busters, recommend this. Do they find the 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 British way of s- like slagging each other off as funny as we do mm. because I find it incredibly funny like whenever I see even in dramas when one of my favorites is are you broken I fucking love that like, it's like there's so many <laughs> British sitcoms especially like in between us would use that one a lot like are you fucking broken I mean I think that's we- <laughs> such a good it makes me laugh so much there's so many in here that just make me laugh a lot. <laughs> Well, to turn the tables, I mean, I think we find the Australian way of doing it pretty funny. Like I we do. were, we were giggling about it in Breaker Morand. Like when it almost seemed like, oh, classroom yelling at each other, like you're stupid, mate. That kind of like they, they mm. didn't say that in the film. I can't remember the line. Yeah, and saying like, you you know, dog act and all of dog act. Really yeah. So I, I don't know. I think so. I mean, they have a huge variety of dialects. In and England. this film is obviously playing it. And same with Guy Ritchie movies. They play it for comedy. They know that it's absurd. They know that having a guy called old peanut blah is very mm. funny. And they know that having a guy called like blah blah. You know, they, they know. They have yeah, the effeminate man called Meredith. And, uh, I mean, even to, to hammer it in, uh, Chopper Reed, who was a famous Australian criminal, uh, he, had, he, he has his movie, but also just the Chopper Reed persona is a great comedic... Oh, uh, yeah, like, Ronnie Johns, yeah. But even just real-life Chopper Reed, he's basically what we're talking about, like that that Australian tough man thing, but the things that they say are fucking funny. Even though they're bad, like they're horrendous and scary... They're just kind of funny. You know, just the way that some words would get slung at you in the Australian vernacular is amusing. There are so many moments where I've seen in real life where people are getting into a, a heated argument, maybe even a fight, and then the tension would be broken because someone said some insult that was just kind of funny. Mm. And or the other way around where the tension strike because they said something so fucking absurd that it's like, that's that's enough. I've had enough of that. Bam. But I recommend 44-inch chest. You have to be aware that it is a movie that is a play. Uh, It is a play. It never reaches beyond being a play. Uh, But the performances are good enough. They're fun. Um, It's a far more uh, emotionally sensitive movie. Again, the, the whole fact that a lead guy is a cuck is a part of the movie. Like, that's in the text. They call him a cuck. They call him a cuckold in it. I don't know if it's technically accurate, but yeah, they do use it. They do a lot throughout the movie, and um, this was in the age where that was becoming more of an insult. Too. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think the actual definition is more of like a consensual kind of thing, whereas this is like just cheating kind of thing and breaking up. Yeah, but even modern cucks have that type of thing as well. Like when we're using it as a s- insulting term, I know, yeah, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Uh, it's like when you say incel, it's like, well, actually, see, an incel is this, but we use incels and is it. Is a term for multiple things rather than the dictionary definition. Is it's it, a way of life. Is it weird to remember that incel was was a thing spawned by a, a lesbian? Yeah, I've seen. I mean, I've listened to the reply all thing. That was a big surprise. I don't know if how many people know that. Yeah, look it up, people. That thanks to and she didn't mean it to become what it is today. And incels would really hate her. Mm. But uh, it was more of a therapeutic thing. Do you recommend Forty Four Inch Chest? I do. This was a great one. So it is your recommendation for the next episode. So what have we got in? What have we got up on the plate? What are you? What are you pitching our way? Uh, we're going back to two thousand two, one of our favorite years. Yay! Very good year. Um, it's a film that I remembered seeing once on TV. Uh, it's pretty. It's probably one of those well-known ones. It's like oh, I remember this one. Now people know it. People know it. Um, 
the lead actor, I don't know that we've actually seen him on anything we've done on uh, our podcast before, even though he's a pretty big one. Uh, I'm going with 2002's Catch Me If You Can. Catch Me If You Can with Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah, have we seen Leonardo DiCaprio before? No, he's been too good for us. <laughs> and Tom Hanks, of course, yeah. one of my favorite Hanks. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, oh, and Tom Hanks, but then I remember we have seen him before. No, no, I was going to say, I was going to say something stupid, but then I remembered, no, no, we've done Spielberg before on the podcast as well. We we did AI. Oh, yes. I was going to say, we haven't done Spielberg before. Oh, yes, it's a Spielberg before. film. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's one of my, uh, spoiler alert, it's one of my favorite Spielberg movies. I love, oh, there you I go. love Catch Me If You Can. And Christopher Walken. He's, oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's Leo's dad. So we'll be talking about Catch Me If You Can next time on the pod. But... I forgot to confirm this. Please. Um, Please confirm. This is more about the podcast overall. I've forgotten what episode number this is, but this might be episode 162 of Pictures Powwow. Wow. So I think now we've done more Pictures Powwow than Unappreciated Masterpieces. So now we have to stop and do a Unappreciated <laughs> Masterpieces to, to catch up. Now we have to go back to the old show. <laughs> now we started a completely new show where we talk only about music. From movies, and mm. that would be like, you know... Dr- Spit and Polish presents Rock Capital 2. <laughs> <laughs> That's a deep cut reference for those who want to know. You don't get to know. I'm sorry I'm not telling you. So that is it. You can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Spit and Polish presents. You can mess- message us on there or at our email address, which is... Spitandpolished at gmail.com. Send us your recommendations or your thoughts, feelings, and opinions on the things that we have discussed here on the pod or the movies. Okay. Concerns. Send us your concerns. Are you right, Winston? You can tell me if I'm being too mean to Bollywood movies and say, stop it. (laughs) I'm hungry to do another Bollywood movie at some point. Well, this was my American pick. Or Indian movie, I should say. Mm. Because we haven't done just Bollywood, have we? We've done... Have we done only just Bollywood? Have we done other Indian movies? Was uh, Bollywood? It had musical sequences in it, so I'd say it was, yeah. Okay. Have we only... Yeah, I guess we have only done it's, Bollywood. It's a difficult distinction, I guess. Because well, I know that the new movie that, that's up for the Oscar, what was it, RRR, isn't Bollywood. It's um one of the other ones. Another but, part of India? Yeah, one of the other... It's not It's not like the North Indian New Delhi industry, it's one of the other Bollywood. Other, what's the other? Big... Oh, there's many. There's like Tollywood, Collywood. Yeah, it's yeah. one of those. But uh... might be South Indian, like Bahubali. Well, it's about the same guy who did Bahubali. Other than yeah, South Indian might be Collywood or Tollywood. Yeah, but it has a musical number or two. So, mm-hmm. but uh, I haven't seen that either. By the way, it just has come up <laughs> recently a lot. So I've been watching because it's Oscar buzz time. Lots of people are talking about movies. Yeah, the That's Oscars up, uh, are gonna happen before this episode comes out, That's right? It. So uh, I can't wait for Tom Hanks to win another Oscar. I don't even know if he's nominated, but he's up. For, <laughs> but he's in Elvis, made by everyone's favorite director, Boz Lerman. So um, <laughs> Boz Lerman. Boz. Um, he's the, done Leonardo DiCaprio films. He. Films? Or just one? Romeo and Juliet and, oh, Great Gatsby. There you go. So far apart. But that is it. Thank you so much for listening, people. And until next time, remember to be kind to each other or else. Yeah, you owe us that. You owe us that, okay? You owe us kindness to others. All right? Don't fucking kill me. So if you're kind to others, we're happy because that's a gift to us as well. And that's how we are blokes. As blokes, rather. Ryan and editing put the as before and cut no, out this. I'm not going to do that. And also put in the thing that I said to put in two episodes ago. <laughs> he told me to put something in. I refuse even harder. <laughs>